Eternal God and Father, we come into thy presence. And we're thankful, dear Father, for all that you've given to us. We are those who are made in your image. And we are to render to God the things that are God's. And so belonging to thee, uh, we do feel the weight of that opening song of praise today. That it is by grace or privilege to give ourselves to thee and to your service. We pray you'd help us to do that even today. That as we worship here, we would not consider ourselves here just for our own benefit, but that we have a role to play for the wider benefit of the church of Christ. Help us to give ourselves to the encouragement of the one of the other. We pray that our conversation in the building here and around the building would be on edification, strengthening and encouraging each other. We think, Lord, of the open-air outreach planned for this afternoon, We pray your blessing upon that service, again, as we seek to give ourselves for the extension of Christ's kingdom and the glory of your name in this locality. Oh, Lord, bless us, help us to be effective and able instruments in your hand for the glory of Christ's name. Oh, Lord, we do remember those matters just mentioned. Uh, Oh, Lord, we pray for all who were present at the funeral service yesterday, for those who were in the house of mourning, It's better to be there. It's good to consider our latter end. And we pray, O God, for those young people particularly. But indeed all who were there that, O Lord, they'd be touched with a sense of their mortality. They would realize, O Lord, that they must be right with Thee. And the only way to be right with Thee is through the person of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that were read. And we pray those words would even be burned into someone's consciousness. And they would realize they must be right with God. Remember also those who, again, have particular burdens. We think of Kim and Mrs. Chestnut again today. We pray you touch them, encourage their hearts, and, oh Lord, give them, uh, again, a measure of healing uh, in their bodies. We think of others who have been unwell uh, in recent times. And, again, that, that lengthy list of prayer needs on our bulletin, we, we commit these dear souls into your care. You know every burden that they carry. And we ask, O oh God, that your goodwill will be perfected in your saints for Christ's sake. We pray also for the Sabbath school hour. We thank you again for the teachers and for those who are under the instruction of the Word of God. Oh Lord, we pray you'd build up the saints. We pray you'd save the lost. Again, in all things, Christ would have the preeminence as we pray in His name and for His sake. Amen and amen. Well, let's turn together today to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Go and read from the verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to the Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready, lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, 
shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Amen. May God encourage our hearts in his word today. Today, just I, I think just in one uh, short study, we're going to look at the last section in our studies at this point in the matter of church ethics. Okay, remember, we're looking at principles of conduct. Uh, what are the grounds whereby we behave in certain ways? Well, ethics flow out of principles, and those ethical standards, of course, are found within the word of the Lord. It is my intention. We've, next Lord's Day, we have a time around the Lord's table, and then the following week, we'll begin the next sphere of our ethical consideration. Having looked at the sphere of worship and church, we'll move on to the sphere of the family. And so that'll be beginning, Lord willing, just after uh, next Lord's Day, so the following Lord's Day in October. But today, I want to look at the area of Christian giving. You have there, God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, this is often a very sensitive area to deal with. And again, understandably, many pastors are slow to take on this subject. Partly because, and this is true in, in the vast majority of churches, even general churches in America, the pastor is the sole employee. Churches that are medium to small in size, uh, they have one employee, and it's normally the pastor who is the employee of the church. And therefore, uh, if you do this, you have giving. Well, it may imply some discontentment in the salary or some other ways of remuneration, and therefore people or pastors are slow to deal with the subject. Please understand, those are not my reasons for doing this today. But it is an important part of church ethics. It's taught in the Word of God, and our young people growing up, they need to understand that when we take up an offering or offering plates or use the back of the building, whatever the case may be, that we are doing that because it is taught in the Word of God. It's not just because we're like some sort of social club and you've got to pay your dues. And rather, it is because of very clear principles taught in the Word of God. And so I take this on not because I'm trying to squeeze more money out of you, church members. I'm very conscious also of the inflationary pressures at present time and the financial position we find ourselves in. But I'm also conscious this is part of true community church life. So having looked at this issue of church life, commitment and submission, part of that is submitting to give for the financial needs of the work of God. I'm also mindful, again, in, in North America in the present time, that we've got to be conscious of the danger of the prosperity gospel or of the televangelist. I pulled this off uh, the net on Friday morning. Uh, just those perhaps on the sermon audio page, this is not an offer to give to this number. Please do not call this number now. Uh, don't use this website. Do not be confused. Those of you watching in sermon audio, this is an illustration of what it should not be like. Okay, it's a negative illustration whereby these people, they often will come to you and say, well, if you give, you'll get back and you'll be blessed. You'll receive these things in turn. And so it's this idea of pressurizing the people with some sort of benefit, pandering, I would say, to the selfish mindset of the carnal man. You want to make a man give money? Tell him to get something in return. You're going to get all this back. You're going to get new blessings, greater harvests, all those things that are often used in the prosperity televangelist false gospel. And it'll be very clear, when we give an offering, we are not paying God back. 
You need to understand that very fundamental in your giving. You are not paying God back for grace that he's given to you. Some say, well, well, God saved me, therefore I give this. Now, what's underneath the therefore is crucial. It was a sense of recognition that you want others to grow in faith, that you recognize the need for the work of God to go forward. That's fine. But if in your mind there's any sense in which you're paying God back, you've got to get that dealt with seriously, repent, and believe the gospel. You're not paying God back, nor are you earning anything. Uh, and this perhaps is more familiar in our mindset, that you go to church, you give the offering, and therefore in some way you're earning God's favor. That's rampant paganism. That's what that is, where the pagans understand that if they give their harvest to God, they therefore they some way earn God's favor. You cannot pay for the redemption of your soul. And so when you come to giving, these things are very, very uh, fundamental. But however, again, I say it, uh, this issue of giving is a biblical, a biblical ethic that comes in the area of church life. And moving quickly from that, in case someone does get confused, let's look at this issue of tithes and offering. Now, first of all, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this is just a matter, of, uh, if you like, of, of proper housekeeping when it comes to where you put this. The area of giving overlaps between the spheres of labor and worship. Okay, so you could deal with a giving issue under the area of society, state, and labor. We'll get there probably sometime next year. We'll get to the issue of state and government and labor. And so you could deal with the issue of giving in that section, uh, but I've chosen to put it under the issue of worship. But in Ephesians chapter 4, you see here, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so here's one of the primary motivations in your endeavors in labor. Primary motivation is to give to those that have need. It's used by the Lord to encourage you. You know, young people, you think to yourself, I don't want to be ambitious. I want to just simply have a, a very quiet life, do the little I need to do, and no real drive and ambition. That's not according to God. We're encouraged to be ambitious, to do the very best we can. I often say to be the very best you. Whatever the gifts God has given you, using those gifts for the very best, part of the reason for that is that you're therefore able to help those that are in need. But we're seeing here, again, this overlap between the spheres of worship and the sphere of labor. Secondly, note again that the use of money is a test of spiritual reality. Over in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again, money is often used as a, as a marker of someone's true spirituality. Again, I could go back, and it's not the purpose of today's message, but you could go back and think of the warnings that Christ gives. Are you serving God or mammon? Again, this fact, this is a very stark contrast between those two things. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, they that will be rich, again, the idea of will there, desire to be rich, or thirsting after riches, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drawing men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
Now you will understand that you do not need to be poor to suffer from this malady. The poor often desire to have more, but the rich also desire to have more. And so you look at this text, well, does it apply to the poor? Does it apply to the rich? Yes, it applies to all. Every potential level, if you like, in, in economic success, every level is impacted by this verse because the issue is heart, not bank balance. It rather is the issue of where your heart is in these things. And so the warning is you're going to err from the faith. Over in chapter 6 again, verse 17, there's a charge then given to them that are rich in this world. They're not high-minded, don't trust in these things, but in the living God. And again, the principle is they be rich in good works. One other uh, text in this regard is 1 John chapter 2. I threw this in uh, laterally because I was reading 1 John this week in my own devotions. I was struck by this. I don't think I'd noticed before. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, and neither the things that are in the world. And then you've all the, the, the negatives. But look at verse number 17 then. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I think the first time I, I put those verses together, and I, I realized that if we love the world, we are not able to do the will of God. That's where you get the, the contrast. They, it goes on to say at the end, the world passes away, but he, it doesn't say he that loves the Lord abides forever. But the recognition is, if we do not love the world then we will love the Lord, and then we'll do the will of God. And so how these things are all connected, if we are those who love money and love the world, we will not be those who do the will of God, and we are not those, therefore, who are saved. We don't abide forever. So those are just foundational principles in this regard. We're looking at this matter in terms of, well, what are the dangers? Well, very clear dangers in the present age in which we live. But moving forward, let me ask the question, are we to tithe or not to tithe? What about this principle? We talk about tithes and offerings. Well, let's take a very quick survey of the Old Testament Scriptures. Going back to Genesis chapter 14, where we have the first reference to something that appears to be a tithe. Genesis 14. And Melchizedek and Abraham meet, verse 18. Melchizedek brings forth bread and wine. Priests of the Most High God, he blessed him. He says, Blessed be Abraham, and blessed be the Most High God, which delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Again, the pronouns there, don't misunderstand the pronouns. Abraham is given Melchizedek tithes of all that he owned. Okay, or all that he had. Why not Hebrews? And so the tithes are given here. For what purpose? Well, they are given here for the purpose of the support of the priests of the Most High God. So even before the Exodus and before the institution of the Levitical order, you have this principle of tithes. Now turn across into Numbers, Numbers chapter 18. Now, I should make it clear at this point that the word tithe that we have, just in case anybody's not clear on this, it comes from the word for ten. Hence, you get this idea of the tenth part. So the tithe, the word itself, refers to a tenth. 
So Numbers chapter 18 and the verse number 23. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. Okay, this is about the Levites. So just think, I'm going to ask you a question here so you can answer this question. If you are part of this culture and you have no inheritance, you have no land, what does that mean? What can you not do? No land means no what? What comes from the land? Crops, food, sustenance. Okay, so you have no inheritance. That is essentially God saying to Levites, you have no means to support yourselves or your families. It's happening here. No inheritance. So verse 24 says, But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as a heath offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. So God makes provision for those who will not labor in a secular capacity. If I can use that term, they're not going to get their hands dirty in the land. They are provided for by the provision of God as those who do labor, therefore provide for the Levites in their religious institutions. You see similar things. Again, I'm not going to turn to all these verses. Deuteronomy, uh, Second Chronicles, and so in different ways, the Second Chronicles and Nehemiah, they're dealing with post-captivity, restoration of these things. Uh, this is part and parcel of what it is to be part of the company of the redeemed. But do please turn to Deuteronomy Chapter 26, Deuteronomy 26, where we've shown you already in the terms of Melchizedek and also the Levites, that again the tithe was given for the, uh, the continuation of the religious institutions, but not only. This is a general principle, it's a third year again, you'll mention here in verse number 12, I'm just going to highlight the principle here. And when thou hast made an end of tithing, all the tithes of thine increase a third year, which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levites. Now, please note the rest of this list. The stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. Again, without going into all the details here, what you're seeing here is that part of the tithing principle, first of all, was for the benefit of the religious institutions, and secondly, also was for the benefit of the needy. And so you have the instructions given in the Levitical law that they were not to glean all the grapes or the corner of the field, but as we see in the time of Ruth, she goes and gleans in the field of Boaz as one who was needy as a widow, but as then provided for under the very law of God. And so turn to Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, uh, just to show you this principle. Leviticus chapter 19. And again, you'll see this idea. And this is very, Leviticus 19 is a very important passage, actually, in terms of the principle, what it means, that, what it means to love uh, the neighbor. And verse 18, of course, says, But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Back in verse number 9, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest, and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now, this is not particularly the tithe. I'm just saying, 
Deuteronomy 26 shows us that part of the tithing principle was to provide for the Levites, but also for the needy. And that's consistent with God's general revelation in these portions that the people of God had out of their abundance to provide for those who could not provide for themselves. So do you tithe or not to tithe? Well, some will say, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. There's no reference to tithing in the New Testament. I say, that's true. Well, apart from the Lord, he mentions when he's dealing with the Pharisees, one to you scribes and Pharisees, how they, well, they, they tithe mint and anise and cumin. They were very particular in tithing. And the Lord says, well, you should keep doing that. Don't stop that. But also don't neglect the weightier matters of the law. But it's true in sense that tithing is not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. Tithing is part of the Levitical law. It's part of the civil law of Israel. It's part of the ceremonial law to do with the Levites and how they were provided for. And so I'm not, I'm not denying that for a second. If we are going to be fair with our ethics, we've got to be consistent with our hermeneutic. How many times we say, well, that's part of the civil law of Israel. It does not apply to the New Testament church. Well, tithing finds itself very much as part of the civil law relating to Israel as a theocracy under God. Does that mean we scrap the idea? I don't believe so. But I'm telling you honestly that an absolute taxing, if you like, a taxing of God's people, whereby we get your balances, we see how much money you earn, and make sure you're given a tenth, is beyond the scope of New Testament Scriptures. Such an oversight would not be appropriate. We don't ever ask you to to choose your tax returns. And make sure you're therefore giving a tenth to the church as a member of this church. We do not ask that. And we would not. So what do we do? Well, there is clearly, clearly in the Old Testament revelation regarding the purpose of giving. I've said the two areas in terms of the religious institutions and also for those who are needy. And we also get a general principle regarding portion. God is not demanding an exorbitant portion of our living. And understand that we've got to live ourselves. And so the tenth is given, and the tithe is given as God's proportion in the Old Testament. So how do we go forward then? What about the New Testament? Well, what do we see in the New Testament? Well, we see, we see principles in the New Testament. The principles of generosity and ability. Now, before you leave the Old Testament, turn to Exodus chapter 25. It's often clear that what we see in the New Testament is the fleshing out of things we first saw in the old. And so the idea of generosity and ability is not a New Testament concept. It was also taught in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 25 describes the offering that was given for the initial building of the tabernacle. Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. If every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, he shall take my offering. The idea here of willingness, the idea of generosity, of giving. You've also got Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy 16 and the verse number 17. Again, regarding three times in a year shall all the... Sorry, wrong verse here. 17. Yeah, for Deuteronomy 16, 17. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So there's again the principle of ability. 
generosity and ability. So turn across now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 gives a very, very clear insight into principles, again, that govern New Testament giving. But they are describing giving for a special case. The suffering of the people of God in Judea, again, those who were suffering from famine and other issues, persecution as well, more than likely, and there were those who were struggling to make a living. And so the Gentile churches were coming together and they were bringing a collective offering to then give to those who were needy in Judea. That's the whole context here. So it's not a, it's not a regular weekly offering, but it does give us principles regarding the matter of giving. Again, chapter 8, verse 1 and following, describes how the churches in Macedonia, by God's grace alone, were able to give greatly out of their poverty, even in their affliction. They were able to give generously. So again, this idea of poverty is no excuse uh, to hinder people giving generously. They, they, by God's grace, they can give generously, even though they are personally suffering in a trial of affliction. Again, we read uh, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, uh, going on down to the verse number 7, uh, where it refers to God loving a cheerful giver. Uh, this idea of giving abundantly and it's actually significant in verse number 8 of chapter 9. God makes all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency, may abound to every good work. And the idea here is that those who are predisposed to give generously the Lord's work, the Lord ensures that they have what they need. Sometimes people look at their bank balance and say, well, if I give to the Lord this week, I'm, I'm going I'm to not have what I need. Well, so again, sometimes people's definition of need is not accurate. But it's also true that God does not hold back from His people for their needs so that He Himself will continue to provide for the Lord's work and for the Lord's people. So these are general principles that are important to understand. So we can give in knowledge. We give in the knowledge that God will supply our needs. But in these portions, again, there is, there is no percentage given. Governing or giving. There's no percentage given here. No, no idea of a tithe or a tenth here. You see, the tenth concept has been used by some to minimize their giving. To get to the point where they say to themselves, well, there's my tenth, the rest mine. And I think when you get to the New Testament, that is not the principle that God wants us to have. This idea we do the bare minimum. And so the tenth, I think, is an important principle that goes from the old into the new. But the general principle in the New Testament is that of generosity and ability. And ability will often exceed the tenth. And so when we begin to count our pennies, um, we think, well, do I give before tax or after tax? That sort of mindset is kind of saying, well, I don't want to give more than I should. Doesn't it? That's what it gets down to, this idea, well, I don't want to give more than I ought to give. Why not? What does that suggest regarding our hearts? Are we not, if we like, less than God-like? For God gives out of His abundance and His riches and glory. And so I say this, and by the way, folks, just in case you wonder, I also give out of my wages. And so I face the same battles I don't look to myself and say, well, everything I get as a, as a salary from the church here, well, I'm just going to keep it all. 
because they've already tithed on that or they've given on that and therefore it's all mine. No, I also give. And the Levites also would do that, by the way. And so you get this idea that the tithing principle continues. So I, I, I face the same struggles you do. So I'm not looking at you from some ivory tower of perfection in this regard, but we have to look at ourselves and look at our hearts and make sure that we are generous unto the Lord and to his works. And so you get to 1 Corinthians. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 just to see one thing. Again, in connection with this offering, 1 Corinthians 16, in the verse number 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him. Okay, so you get this idea. And here's the, this is where we get the principle of a weekly offering. The idea of really coming on the first day of the week as part of Christian worship. We'll get there as we close today. All right, so very quickly, moving on. Purposes. In the New Testament, the purposes of giving are corresponding to the Old Testament. First of all, for the furtherance of the gospel. Again, I'll keep this up here, but Philippians chapter 4 describes how Paul uh, was receiving help from the Philippian church. They, They helped him in his ministry. And the recognition that he didn't always get that. He worked in some places. Uh, but he recognized and commended the Philippians for giving to help the furtherance of the gospel, if you like, in terms of missions. But turn, if you're in 1 Corinthians, turn back to chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, again, the general principle. Chapter 9, verse... Oh, damn, damn, bad, just the wrong text again. Um... Yeah, verse 9 is the muzzling of the ox. I'm looking for the text where it says that those who preach the gospel would live by the gospel. It's in this chapter somewhere. But the principle's here anyway. It's those who preach the gospel would live by the gospel. But you have there verse number 9. The principle is also taught uh, back over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse uh, verse 14. Sorry, verse, that's, I'm missing a one. Verse 14 is the text. It should be 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14 there. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. And again, the context, of course, is not muzzling the ox. Uh, the ox was used to grind, uh, turning the, uh, the grinding circle. And there was, again, some of the grain left over. But the stingy farmer would muzzle the ox and the ox could not eat off that. And well, the Lord says, don't muzzle the ox. Let the ox eat as it grinds the wheat, and then they will get what they deserve, what they need. And so the same principle is used in the gospel, that those who are laboring in the gospel should live off the gospel. Again, I, I believe the principle in the minds of God's people should be this. Not that you pay, not that you pay a missionary or a minister for their labors, although the, again, the labor is worthy of his hire, But rather what you're doing in giving is you're enabling the minister or the missionary to work in the gospel without having to be distracted by working in the fields. And so as the Levites were not given inheritance, and so they were therefore free to be involved in the Lord's service, I think that's the principle that you're freeing up missionaries and ministers to labor in the gospel without having to be distracted from studies and prayer by the necessary working with the hands. I think it's a principle. And so you should keep that in mind. And so when we think of our offerings here, a lot of that is given to our presbytery, to our mission board. Uh, again, I don't know if you're aware of this, but our church, uh, we every year we give a tenth minimum 
A tenth of our income goes to our presbytery, which is then used to help with the mission board, um, with our seminary, and other needs as is appropriate. So next week, when we go to presbytery, we'll discuss the budget for the next year. And that budget is based upon the income and what we can do to further the Lord's word in the gospel. So you're doing that as part of your work here in Malvern. You give for those important reasons. I'll say more of that, I say, next Lord's Day afternoon. And so you have the furthest of the gospel. You also have then also the provision of the needy. We've already read Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. One last thing in the New Testament, our time is, is really gone, is that giving should be seen as an act of worship. Okay, something else that comes clearly out in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13. And you'll see here, giving is corresponding to singing. As acts of worship, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Having just dealt with the sacrifice of praise in verse number 15. By the way, this idea of communicating is used elsewhere with regards to giving. Again, giving to the Lord's work and for the Lord's cause. So I think that's a general overview of the biblical principles, the ethics regarding giving. And so to take away from this, you say, yes, the Lord has given us a general principle in the Old Testament that is worthy of imitation. And that is the general idea of the tenth principle But that is, if you like, the beginning, the foundation, out of which comes the principles of generosity and ability for the furtherance of the gospel and for the provision of the needy, again, in the church and outside the church, doing good to all, especially the household of the faith, according to Galatians chapter 6. So that's the overview. Any questions or comments on that? Again, I, we, we flew through that. I, I, I debated taking two weeks on it, um, but I thought, well, just we will... We'll fly through it and hopefully it'll make some sense. You can go back over it again if anything you need to, to do. All happy. Amen to that. Well, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help again to again apply these things. These are the nuts and bolts, if you like, of Christian living. Uh, may God help us to apply them wisely. Eternal God and Father, we thank you again for all that you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that even in the context of giving, we have that wonderful text that Christ was rich yet for our sake became poor, that we indeed may benefit from him, that uh, in his poverty we might be rich. And so we thank you, Lord, that these principles of giving, they, they really reflect the gospel. They reflect the power of the gospel in our lives, and they reflect what we can be in Christ's name. Give us help now as you come to worship your name. And again, we thank you for this congregation. We thank you for Again, how they consistently over the years have given so generously to the work of God. And we pray that will continue and that Christ will be glorified in and through our labors here. We do pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.